Welcome to Telling the Truth, the ministry of Stuart and Jill Briscoe. I started a series called Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work. These are not the only things that make a marriage work, but I have tried to discern as I was thinking about this series I was going to do with you, what would be the eight most important things in our marriage and as I try to help other people make their marriages stronger, what are the things I keep coming back to over and over again? Today on Telling the Truth, we'll hear from Jill Briscoe about eight biblical principles that have been most impactful in her 60 plus years of marriage. If you want a strong and lasting marriage, the best place to look for guidance is the creator of marriage itself, God. We want to help you build a healthy and fulfilling marriage by sending you Jill Briscoe's series, Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work. We'll send you this resource along with a beautiful Bible verse print as thanks for your gift today to help others experience life in Christ. So call today to request your copy of this powerful four-message series, 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388, or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now here's Jill with her message for today. Marriage matters to God. It matters to God because he thought of it. I remember when Stuart was a youth evangelist and he would, and I would, with him and without him, (laughs) go into places where kids congregated in Europe, where we were living in Manchester or in Liverpool or wherever. And we would just go into the coffee bars because that's where they were. And I would try and engage them in conversation. Stuart would try and engage them in conversation. And I remember once going into a very dark place. It was a, it was pretty bad place. Lots just packed with young teenagers of the day. And we would ask the band in the middle of the din they were making, uh, when you have a break, would you mind if we use your platform to talk to the kids? We just want to talk to them about moral values and we'd use some sort of non-threatening terms. And we never got a no. The people that ran those places always said, sure, anything that helped the kids, that's fine. And so I remember my husband getting up and saying quite bravely, what do you want to talk about tonight? Uh, It it was not really brave because we knew that they only wanted to talk about two things, (laughs) sex and can't remember what the other one was, but <laughs> sex would always be the first one they wanted to talk about. So from the deep, dark cavern, a voice would shout out, sex, talk about sex, ha, 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 because they knew he was a Christian and didn't believe in it. <laughs> that was their concept of Christian, that you didn't believe in sex or have fun in any sense with all the things they were having fun with, if you were one of these weird Christians. And so Stuart always delighted in telling them that he would be delighted to talk about sex, that sex was one of his favorite subjects because without sex, he would not be here. And without sex, they would not be here. And so they couldn't have a meeting at all. (laughs) So let's give three cheers for sex, he'd say. We'd say, hip, hip, hooray, you know. Then we would go on with the meeting. (laughs) And he always told them that it was God's idea. We'd messed it up. We'd perverted it. We'd made it dirty. But God's idea was sex. It was his idea. It was a holy idea. It was a great idea. It was God's good plan 
for us. And he would begin there. And the Bible teaches that, that marriage matters to God because God thought about it in the first place. And as he thought about it, he made men and women. You know, when God looked at Adam and said, everything I've made is very good and the man I've made is very good, but then after a little while he looked at him and he said, that's not good. (laughs) He didn't mean the man was not good. He meant it was not good that man should be alone. First time God gave a negative in Genesis, it was commenting on the fact that the man was lonely. Now then, God had a choice. He could have made another man to keep him company, but he didn't. He could have done away with the idea of sex and procreation altogether and just made clones or other men that weren't clones but different. He could have done anything he wanted. He made Adam from a bit of dust. (laughs) He got a whole lot more dust to work on in the earth that he made, but he didn't. He made a woman. Actually, the book of Genesis says when God created man, and the word man is humankind, Adam. Adam means humankind. When God made humankind, he made them male and female. He made man, male man, and female man. It's the same word. And so he made two people alike but different So marriage matters to God. It matters very much to God because it's his idea. And differences matter to God. He made us different. And today we're going to look at the whole concept of what it means that we're different. Because the fact that we're different causes all the blessings, all the joys, and all the problems often in a marriage. And I want to talk today about respecting the differences respecting the differences. If God created us differently, then he must have had something in mind. Why did he do that? I don't know when you look at your children, if you ever have a problem with the child that is most like you. I know I did. That was the one I struggled with most because I saw in that child things I didn't like about myself. (laughs) And I saw them reflected in the child that was most like me. And so I had a problem with that child sometimes. But then I would look at the child that was most opposite to me, and I would have a problem with them as well. (laughs) Just can't win, can you? And the reason I would have a problem with the child that was most unlike me was that the things that I saw would irritate me. It's a bit like being attracted to your husband. Opposites attract, right? And as soon as you get married, they begin to irritate to death. Because when you're engaged and when you're courting or dating, then you can leave those differences when they begin to irritate and go home into your other world. But then when you're looking at those differences over the table every single morning and you're living with them at close quarters, then the opposites begin to irritate. I remember coming here in 1970 and being absolutely amazed at the openness of Americans, the way that they're willing to talk about everything and anything to total strangers like me. And I would get a phone call and find a total stranger I'd never met in my life spilling out all sorts of things that I would never have heard after 20 years of knowing someone in England, just like that. I remember getting off the phone once and saying to Stuart, everybody in America has had a hysterectomy. Did you know that? (laughs) 
Now, that was a word I'd never used until I came to America. I would never have dreamt of talking about such an intimate thing with anybody, even one of my closest friends, probably. And so it was a huge shock to my English system to find the incredible openness of American women to talk about anything <laughs> with great ease. And of course, it's a great opportunity to use those open times to talk about the things that really matter. But it took a little bit of getting used to. And I remember a woman getting on the phone and saying, is the pastor in? And he wasn't, as usual. And so I said, no, but I'm the pastor's wife. Can I help you? And she said, well, we want a divorce. And I said, well, he doesn't do divorces. So there was silence. No, no, you don't understand. So I said, oh, I do understand. You want a divorce. But I said, he institutes Christian marriages and he helps people stay married. She said, well, it's too late for that. I want a divorce. And I said, what's the problem? And she said, irreconcilable differences, which is, I believe, the major reason that divorces are granted in this state of Wisconsin and all over America today. And I had never heard that term before, and I said, oh, that's not the reason for divorce, that's the reason for marriage. So there was silence, the other end. And I said, wasn't it the differences that attracted you in the first place to each other? And she said, well, yes, yes, but... So I said, no, not but, that, that's what attracted you together. And, and that's what God intended, that... You fill up in the other that which is lacking, the thing that you don't have that attracted you. You see this opposite and you say, I'm not like that. I don't have that. Um, that's attractive to me because I don't have it. And so that part that I don't have can be added to this part that I do have that they don't have. And we together can be one. And I said, that's the reason for marriage. I said, do come and see my husband. And maybe I can be there as well. And let's talk about this. And God be praised, that marriage was actually saved. And it was all because somebody pointed out that differences are God, God's idea. Just like marriage is God's idea. God made us differently. Listening to Jill Briscoe on Telling the Truth. She'll be back in a moment. But first, one question we often hear from Telling the Truth listeners is What's the Bible's secret to a long, happy marriage? Over their years of ministry, Stuart and Jill Briscoe have both had a lot to say about this question. After all, they had the biblical wisdom and real life experience over 60 years of marriage to back it up. And in Jill's four-message series called Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work, she shares timeless truth on marriage from the Bible, along with practical day-to-day -day advice from her own marriage to Stuart. We want to help you build a marriage that stands the test of time as you apply biblical truth to help your marriage not only survive, but thrive. That's why we're excited to send you Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work, as well as a beautifully designed print featuring a Bible verse on marriage as our thanks for your gift today. Your gift will help keep sharing the life-changing truth of God's love with people around the world through the resources and teaching of telling the truth. So call today to request eight things that make a marriage work when you give. 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. 
888-528-5388 or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now let's get back to Jill as she continues her message, Respect the Differences and Develop Integrity. So it's a sort of gender issue, this marriage stuff. There are gender issues in the world, gender issues. There are gender wars in the world. And all of that has happened since what we call the fall. In Genesis 1 and 2, God had a perfect idea for the men and women that he'd made. It was to have a partnership. It was to be companions. It was to be equal together, ruling not over the man over the woman or the woman over the man. He didn't say that. Ruling over the creation, ruling over the animals. That's what God intended. And then that wretched snake in their garden got to work and persuaded humankind to rebel against God, to do it on their own, to go it alone, that they didn't need God. They could be their own gods. They could look after their own destiny. They could be like God without God, which, of course, is a total lie and absolutely impossible. We cannot be like God or godly without the God who's got the power to make us like him. And so the snake comes along and, first of all, convinces Eve. Eve listens, and because she doesn't have quite as much information as the man who got it directly from God, you shall not, she does. She takes the forbidden fruit and she eats it and gives it, it says in the Bible, to Adam, who was with her. You ever notice that? He wasn't around the corner tilling the ground, doing something else, and she takes the forbidden fruit and then runs and says, listen to what I did. He was there. He heard the snake. He watched Eve. He let her do it. And then he takes it from her hand as she takes another piece of fruit and gives it to him. He was with her. And so they were both equally culpable. They're both equally fallen. They're both equally guilty, and they were both equally saved. Because as soon as they sinned, God promised them that one day, one day, a Savior would come to roll back the effects of the fall. Now, what were the effects of the fall? One of them was that the whole of creation was affected. The whole of creation. Animals were affected. A lion leapt upon a lamb and tore it to shreds. Never happened before. And so creation and the animals and the ground was affected. Thorns and thistles. Weren't any thorns and thistles. I've got something to say to Adam when I see him. <laughs> I get in my garden. Coming up as the spring comes, thorns and thistles never there in Genesis 1. Some of Genesis 2. Only in Genesis 3 and afterwards when the fall of man is recorded. And then the disaster between the genders. Gender now became an issue. And the blame game began. And the man says, the woman made me do it. And the woman says, the snake made me do it. And they start and blame each other. And God said, you both did it. Now it's done. Now it's going to cost me my life. Put it right. But I will come in Christ and reconcile the world to myself. And he promised them in Genesis 3.15, one day, one of your descendants will crush this serpent's head and it'll be over. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. How do you kill a snake? You crush its head. One day, and he will be triumphant. But it's going to be a long haul. And in between, something's going to happen with marriage. The desire will be to your husband, and he will rule over you. And the word is dominate, 
oppress, domination, and headship as God intended it in Genesis 1. The man's headship, which is there, was to make sure the woman was equal, now degenerates into domination and oppression and abuse. And so God looks forward through history in Genesis 3 and says, he will rule or dominate over you. That's a result of the fall. It's a result of the fall. Now, there are two views of that verse, and I won't bother you with the theology of it. It's either prescriptive or descriptive. If you think it's prescriptive, then you will take the point of view that woman is inferior, that because she deceived Adam, she needs to be kept in her place. She needs to be hidden out of sight in case she deceives any more men, and she needs to be controlled. And some people say that's what God said, because what Eve did, he said, now you're going to need a man to really keep you in order. Prescriptive. It's his prescription. The other half of the Christian church in their theology would say, no, it's descriptive. It's descriptive of what God saw would happen as a result of the fall. And this is what would happen. And if you read history of women in any secular book or anything else, you will find incredible injustices done to women, and often in the name of religion. There are many, many faiths in this world who believe that as through Eve all sinned instead of as through Adam all sinned. And they believe that Eve was the deceiver instead of the deceived. And because she was the deceiver, she needs controlling and hiding, etc., etc. So you have a problem in the world today with the way that women are treated. I take the point of view that it's descriptive and that God said, one day I'm going to put this right. I'm going to roll back the effects of the fall. I'm going to look after the ground and teach you how to look after the environment in order to roll back the effects of the fall and the thorns and thistles and all of that. And I am going to look after the family relationships through redemption and roll back the effects of the fall and restore as much as possible in this life what I had in mind for men and women in the first place, that men and women together would make one whole and there would be no gender war and that the differences would complement in Christian marriage rather than compete and that once again, marriage would be what I intended it to be. That was Jill Briscoe on today's Telling the Truth. She returns in a moment to wrap up today's message. But first, God has given you the secrets to a long-lasting and joy-filled marriage. And they're found throughout the pages of Scripture. We want to help you mine the treasures of God's Word so that you can grow your marriage God's way. That's why we're excited to send you Jill Briscoe's four-message series, Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work. This powerful series will breathe new life into your marriage as you learn to anchor your relationship to God's truth. We'll send you eight things that make a marriage work, along with a special design print featuring a Bible verse on marriage as thanks for your gift this month to keep sharing the teaching and resources of telling the truth with so many around the world. Generous friends like you keep broadcasts like this one going, reaching others with God's healing love so they can experience life in Christ. 
If you haven't given before, consider a gift today to help keep God's Word going out to you and many others. And remember to request 8 Things That Make a Marriage Work and your Bible verse print when you call and give. Just call 1-800-889-5388, 1-800-889-5388, or you can give online when you visit tellingthetruth.org. Jill's here to answer a couple of questions from today's message. Jill, how is being different from one another both a blessing and a problem in marriage? Well, this lesson has been about celebrating our differences and not allowing our differences to destroy our relationship. And we have a choice about that. Once we get married and we find how different we are, then that can either be a problem or a blessing, and it's your choice. It can be a problem if we try to change the other person and make them like we think they should be. When we think they have the problem and they think we have the problem, we have a problem. (laughs) And so the idea is to find something in the thing that irritates you that is positive. Work hard. It can be done. You have to think. You have to spend time. But in the end, find something that irritates you that could be a positive. I think in my own relationship with Stuart, he is always so practical and I'm always so airy-fairy and, you know, dreaming. And when I bring a dream, sometimes in his practical way, he will step me through it and there isn't a dream left at the end. And that used to irritate me until I thought, no, this is very good. Because if it sounds airy-fairy and not practical to him, everybody else isn't going to get hold of it and be helped. And so I've learned to listen and I've learned to appreciate his practical approach to life, marriage, relationships. And he has learned, he says, to appreciate my dreaming and my poetic utterances about marriage and all of that that I'm sure irritated him to death. And so you find in what irritates you something that you can appreciate. And that takes work. Of course, marriage takes work. That doesn't sound very romantic. Marriage takes work, but it's absolutely true. And it's very practical. You've got to work at your marriage. And marriages that do not work at it do not work, period. Jill, can you explain again what headship means with regards to the marriage relationship? Headship is basically designed as a blessing, whether it is the lordship and headship of God over man or the headship of law and order over a population or the headship of teachers and guidance counselors in a school. Whatever headship, or should we change the word authority, is put there, the Bible teaches, is put there for the good of society and for the individuals in it. So it is in marriage. And whatever headship means in marriage, and everybody has very strong opinions of this, it is there, it is in the scriptures, and it is for blessing. It is for nurture. It is for protection. It is for bringing the best out of the people that we have authority over. And all of us have authority over someone if you are an adult in some way, maybe in the office, maybe in the school, maybe in a camp. All of us 
a given authority or headship at some point. And uh, in the marriage bond, it appears to be the man. And what his headship is for is both authority and nurture, um, source of blessing, as well as protection. And uh, that is the source of our help as a woman. And my husband has always told me that he's the head and his headship is for one thing, to help me to be whatever God created and made me to be. The sky is the limit, Jill. Let me help you get there. And that's what headship's for. That's what headship's for as parents, to say to the kids, we are the authority in this family and we are here to help you to be all that God made and planned for you to be, to help you to get there. And the sky's the limit. That's what our authority is for. Thank you, Jill. Before we go, we want to remind you this month, when you give to continue sharing God's word through Telling the Truth broadcasts like this one, we'll send you Jill Briscoe's four-message series, Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work, along with a Bible verse print about marriage. This powerful series will encourage you with eight biblical keys to a healthy, life-giving marriage. So please request your copy when you call 1-800-889-5388, 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online when you visit tellingthetruth.org. Thanks so much for listening today. Be sure to come back again to hear more life-giving truth from Stuart and Jill Briscoe. Listen in and experience life next time on Telling the Truth. Telling the Truth.